You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. It's a joy to be with you guys, and I have the joy, I'm just going to give you a heads up, I have the joy of talking about something I'm extremely passionate about, so we might get a little spicy, okay? It's something that I believe we need to take serious, but first, because it's Valentine's Day, I want to show you something. This is my wife and I's first date. Thank you. It's Valentine's Day. I thought that was nice. This is Kristen. Everyone calls her KP. Asked her out eight times. She said no seven, but I was persistent, never gave up. As we fell in love... A key thing about falling in love is you start loving and caring for the person, the things that that person loves and cares for. Does that make sense? So I don't care at all about tennis. Didn't know anything about tennis. Sorry, tennis players. Now I love tennis. I even know how those scores work, which are still very confusing. I don't know the words, but I know how that works. Because KP loves tennis. She grew up going to a lake house in upstate New York on a lake called Lake George. She cared about that. I have no relationship with Lake George, nor did I ever really go to a lake house, but I care about it now. Does that make sense? She cares about good food because I care about good food. She cares about Liverpool because I care about Liverpool. We love each other. So when we fall in love with God, we must start loving and caring for what he loves and cares for. It is such a gift that we serve a God that loves us, and you could honestly stop there and it would still be magnificent. If you just were saturated in God's love, it would be unbelievable. But the reality is that God cares for and loves many different things. In James 1:27, he talks about pure undefiled religion is the care of an orphan and a widow. How are you doing at loving orphans and widows? Psalm 10, 17 and 18 talks about God's heart for the afflicted, the fatherless, and the oppressed. Psalm eleven seven says he cares about justice. Isaiah 61, we hear about this all the time, but he came for the poor, the brokenhearted, the captives. Luke 19, 10 was looking at Zacchaeus, the wee little man, one. And he said, this is why I've came, to seek and save which is lost. Do you care about the lost? Do you have friends that don't know Jesus? Do you pray regularly about lost people in your life? People groups who have no entrance or no ability to meet Jesus. People that have never heard the gospel of Jesus. Do you know the only time God runs in the Bible? Towards the prodigal. The only time God runs is the father running to the son. Falling in love with Jesus leads to you loving what he loves and caring about what he cares about. So I could say that and you could stop there and then you would just feel maybe guilty that you don't care for orphans as much as you should. I don't want that to happen, okay? I'm actually gonna pray before we open up scriptures. We're gonna be in Luke 10 if you do wanna go there. We're gonna talk about a story called the Good Samaritan, but I wanna pray at first because the reality is, is this chapel frame, hands of service, if you serve out of obligation, you're in religion. If you serve because Pastor Zach tells you you should care for justice, and the poor, you won't have the oomph, you won't have the spirit behind you, you'll just do it out of being kind to me. Does that make sense? So we're gonna talk about the key for hands of service. Without this, I don't know if we really need to even think about it. But let's pray first, and then we'll go to Luke 10. Jesus, thank you so much that you love us, 
that you're pursuing us and calling us into holiness, that you care about our thoughts and you're about renewing our minds. You create space in our life for us to ask questions. But Jesus, I also thank you that you gave us the pearl of the mission of God, that you could have stayed and completed your mission, but you gave it to 12 fragile disciples that through the years and generation have now given it to us, students at Asbury University, staff at Asbury University. We have a mission and it's yours. Minister to our hearts. And anything that I say that's of myself or passion or charisma or woo, would it be forgotten? But anything from you, Holy Spirit, will find fertile ground in their hearts and will it produce fruit in their formation and for the kingdom of God. And what do we say? Amen. So the Good Samaritan, I read the Good Samaritan out of my daughter's little baby Bible last night, I almost brought it. But this is the story of the Good Samaritan. A teacher of the law comes to Jesus and he says, how can I have eternal life? And this idea of eternal life in this context is not how do I go to heaven and stay with him eternally. This word eternal in the Greek uh, is like a godly life, a life that is marked by eternity. So when he says this, Jesus asks, well, what's the commandment? And this teacher of the law, an expert of the law says to love your Lord, your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So the teacher of the law kind of nails it. And Jesus says, you got it, do that. And then the teacher of the law asks one question that I think we as the church of the West, we as college students, myself, honestly, often, we do this. It says, trying to justify himself, the teacher of the law, he says, well, who's my neighbor? So he's nailed it, love the Lord and love my neighbor. And then Jesus says, go do that. And he's like, it literally says, trying to justify himself. He says, well, who's my neighbor? He's made a mistake. He thinks he could do the first law without doing the second law to the completion of what Jesus is asking. And then Jesus tells a parable. We all know, if not, it's okay. Parables are not actual things that happen. They're illustrations. Does that make sense? Jesus uses a story to illustrate a point. So he uses this story about a Jewish man on the road to Jerusalem and Jericho. Jerusalem and Jericho is a rough road. You don't want to be on that road by yourself. Okay? And the Jew gets beaten up, stripped naked, everything stolen from him. He gets thrown to the side. And then, this is the question, who's my neighbor? Right? Verse 29. And then we hear about the priest and the Levite. The priest comes first, and he sees the Jew beaten up on the side of the road. And the priest in this story, I want to I maybe highlight this. The priest is someone who's used to doing religious things. He's really good at it. Okay? Some of you guys have grown up doing religious stuff, and you're pretty good at it. Does that make sense? You might even be going into ministry, and you're a ministry major, and you're doing internships, you're serving at a camp this summer, whatever, and you're good at doing religious stuff, Christian stuff. Well, this guy who is really good at doing religious stuff, what does he do? He's disgusted, goes to the other side of the road, and passes by. Something's missing. He was doing the right stuff, but he didn't do what God was asking him to do in this moment. Then you have the Levite. Okay? And the Levite, the Levite would have known the law, right? We know the story of the Levites, maybe. It's okay if you don't, but the Levites would have known the law. Some of you guys maybe don't do a ton of the religious stuff, but you know the law. Like you know what the Bible says, right? You know the stories of God. Well, the, knowing the stories of God did not help the Levite do the work that day. 
They probably had excuses. They didn't want to get messy because they were headed to church. They needed to get home to their family. They were on a rough road. You don't want to be left alone on this road. It could be an ambush, right? Maybe it's a facade and they're trying to do me dirty. Maybe he's going to use the money for drugs or alcohol, right? A lot of us think that way. When we see a homeless person, anyone? (laughs) Right? They have excuses. And they go to the other side of the road, pass the beaten man, and forget him. Maybe your excuses aren't, I got to get home to a family. I'm on my way to do temple duties. Anyone on their way to sacrifice a goat this morning? No? Me either, right? But you're on your way to chapel. Maybe your excuses is, I don't know how. Maybe it's, I don't have enough money. Maybe it's, I don't have enough time. Maybe it's, I'm too busy. What might be the reason that keeps you from serving? The expert of the law was trying to justify himself, and that's why Jesus started teaching. This might sound brutal, but I just want to go at it, okay? How do you justify not serving? We instinctively tend to limit for whom we exert ourselves. We do it for people like us and for people whom we like. Jesus will have none of that. By depicting a Samaritan helping a Jew, Jesus could not have found a more forceful way to say that anyone at all in need, regardless of race, politics, class, and religion, maybe they don't follow Jesus like you do in the dorms. Maybe you got a guy on the team who's not walking with Jesus. Well, you still can serve them. In fact, that might be the best person to serve. Regardless of all these things, it is your neighbor. Not everyone is your brother and sister in the faith, but everyone is your neighbor, and you must love your neighbor. Here comes this hero of the story, the Samaritan. The Samaritan was an outsider, and most people would have said if anyone was to pass by the Jew, it would have been the Samaritan. He could have totally blown past the Samaritan and be like, he wouldn't have helped me, so I'm not going to help them. But what do we see in those words about the Samaritan? What do we see? He felt compassion. This is what I want us to focus on. Do not serve those who God cares about and love out of religion. Do not care about the things on race. Don't care about the things about the poor and immigration because it's cool and provocative. If you want God to move, then you will need to move out of compassion, pity, a broken heart. I'm going to mispronounce this word because I'm not like a theologian, Bible scholar. I'm just a missionary. Splach needs am I. Someone say that? Splach? That was four of you. Splach needs a my. This is like heartbreak, guttural care for someone. Like this makes you snotty cry kind of care. It's the care that Sarah has for her kids. Does that make sense? When you see her post about sweet Emily and all these, all these pictures, like you can tell she cares deeply. Splach needs a my. When I get snotty and teary when I talk about my daughter, Esther, that's splach nizamai. That's not cute, love. That is guttural care. Multiple times in scripture, these are all references to Jesus moved by compassion. Jesus had compassion. All these things are these moments where ministry from God was spurred on by compassion. If you want to learn more about compassion, I would pull out your phone, take a picture of this, and take the next couple weeks to study these verses. Guys, the key to hands of service is not gritting your teeth and doing what you should. The key to hands of service is a compassionate heart. A compassionate heart. How is your compassion tank? 
how full is your compassion tank? What's taking your compassion? I want to say this real quick. Some of you here have not experienced the compassion of the church. Anyone? Haven't experienced the compassion of a spiritual leader. When you think about the church, you think of harsh and judgmental. You don't think of compassionate and kind. I want to first say to you, you've been wronged and Christ has been misrepresented to you. Now, if you are in sin, if you're up to no good, and someone has called you on that, that's different, okay? But if you have not experienced the compassion of Christ through the community of Christ, I am sorry. Now, I wanna speak to the community of Christians, the church, a university marked by Christian morals and spirituality filled with the spirit. If we are not known by our compassion, What are we doing, y'all? We could just be like Transylvania or Berea or another campus. What makes us different? Compassion, a broken heart. Heart holiness in the mind of Christ, Jeannie and Brian, leads to compassion. And compassion leads to hands of service. And my boy, Prof. Rob, Prof. Rob, um, (laughs) he's preaching on Friday. When you have all these three things, heart, holiness, mind of Christ, and hands of service, you have a kingdom community. And that is what we're after. Guys, don't believe the lie that more time will lead to hands of service. That is a lie. Do not believe the lie that money will lead to hands of service. When I have more money, I can be generous. When I have more time, I can be more service-oriented. Or don't believe the lie that that's not my job. I'm a marketing major. I'm a nursing major. I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a teacher. I don't need to serve. That's the missionary majors. Those are the people that go out. No, that's a Christian thing. If you are wondering your call, anyone wondering what you're called to do? No one. Seth. Good, one person. We can grab coffee, we'll talk through it. I got an answer for you, okay? (laughs) There are certain things baked into the cake of Christianity that aren't up to question. And if you start there, I bet your call will be played out. Does that make sense? Make disciples of all nations. Serve the poor, care for the orphan and widow. That you don't get to ask if you're up for. If you call yourself a Christian, care for injustice. If you're a Christian, You signed up for it. Now, might it be expressed through marketing? Might it be expressed through business? Might it be expressed through teaching? Might it be expressed through preaching? Might it be expressed by your parenting? Might it be expressed by your marriage? Killer. But baked into the cake of following Jesus is caring for the poor, being marked by compassion. Don't believe this lie. Compassion asks us to go where it hurts to enter into the places of pain, to share in brokenness, fear, confusion, and anguish. Compassion challenges us to cry out with those in misery, to mourn with those who are lonely, to weep with those in tears. Compassion requires us to be weak with the weak, vulnerable with the vulnerable and powerless with the powerless. Compassion means full immersion in the condition of being human. Some of you guys might believe the lie like, All that sounds great, and I'll do that when I graduate. You're called to that now. Brokenness, fear, confusion, anguish, misery, mourning and loneliness, tears, weakness, vulnerable, powerless. They're in your dorms. They're in your classrooms. Oh, and by the way, in Wilmore, you don't have to just stay on campus. Oh, by the way, up the street in the city that I've served for 12 years, there's plenty of that. There used to be a group of athletes that just brought a 
a pack of Gatorade and a soccer ball downtown Lexington, and they started an after-school program that then turned into a sex ed program that then helped a school do their first ever musical, and then started basketball and volleyball camp, and then we threw the first school dance ever. It started with a pack of Gatorade and a soccer ball. It required 30 minutes of driving. They didn't get a degree for it. I don't know if it's on their resume, but they had compassion. Compassion and mercy leads to service. Compassionate service, okay? A broken heart. Messy service. Do you know what the Samaritan did for the broken man? He poured wine and oil, bandaged them up. How are you doing at being messy? How might you get messy? Will you get messy? Will you get messy for the lost? Will you get messy for the people that I love who don't know Jesus yet? Will you get messy for the people that you love and don't know Jesus yet and require some messiness? Anyone? Did anyone require messiness to find Jesus? I did. What about inconvenienced? This man put the broken man on his donkey and walked him to an inn to be cared for. Will you be inconvenienced? Will you be inconvenienced? Guys, I don't want to take it easy on you and wait until you're like 30 to be challenged to do this stuff. I don't want to wait until you're like, okay, I'll get married and get some money and then I'll start doing that stuff. I want to challenge you now. Will you be messy, inconvenient, and maybe sacrificial? I just got a text from one of my best friends who is a missionary in Jordan. We went to a school a lot like Asbury, Indiana Wesleyan, and she texted me this morning that she was having tea with a Muslim family and they all received Christ this morning. That's, that's unbelievable. But my friend, I'm just gonna be real, my friend is a 40-year-old single woman who longs to be married. And it's hard to find someone while you're a missionary in Oman. She could make a ton of money. She's a nurse practitioner here, but she's serving Oman. She misses Christmas. She misses her friend's weddings because she's marked with compassion and she's called to go. She's sacrificed. Some of you might be called to do the same. Some of you guys are like, okay, I'm not going to go to Jordan. Chill out. Okay. I got a minute and 30 seconds, so I'm going to preach really quick. All right. You see that triangle in the middle? Y'all see this? That's your sweet spot. You don't need to go to Jordan. It's you mixed with your context, mixed with the gospel, where all that overlaps is your sweet spot for hands of service. You with me? So if it's you and your context is the horse farm and you bring the gospel, that's going to be your sweet spot. I've said this before here. Who here likes Excel spreadsheets and accounting? No one? Yeah, yeah. I will not be effective in those places. I hate Excel spreadsheets and numbers. So I need you to go to that context with the gospel and serve in that sweet spot. Does that make sense? Soccer players, you can speak to soccer players in a unique way because it's you mixed with your context and you bring the gospel. And let me say this and then I'll close. Do not bring just kindness to the sweet spot. Do not bring niceness to the sweet spot. Do not bring meaningful posts and high fives to the sweet spot. Bring the gospel. Do you know how you get to heaven? Jesus, not kindness. Your generation, I have to say this, your generation like gets itchy when it comes to evangelism. Barna Research says that many of your generation thinks it's immoral to lead someone to Christ. But I don't wanna just serve someone and not talk to them about Jesus. I don't wanna just bandage wounds and I introduce people to Jesus. I don't want us to go to the nations to deliver babies and microloan businesses 
and not talk about Jesus. Your sweet spot will be you, whatever context you're called to do, with the gospel. At the end, Jesus asks, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law said, the one who had mercy on him, the one who had compassion on him, the one who had pity on him. So as we close in prayer, I have a challenge for you. If you allow your heart to pursue holiness and you ask God to renew your mind, would you go and do likewise among the world? Go and do likewise among your dorms. Go and do likewise in your classrooms. Go and do likewise in your families. Would you do that? And not out of obligation because it's a chapel frame. Same thing with heart holiness, mind of Christ, and kingdom community. Don't do that because it's chapel frames. Do it because Jesus is asking to you. And in this one, go and do likewise because you want to be marked by compassion. Amen? Amen. So let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity to open up your word. I pray against any distraction or any shame or guilt. Jesus, I pray that you would wash all that off. And Jesus, anything from you would find fertile ground. It would pierce hearts and it would produce fruit. Jesus, would Asbury be marked with compassion, with pity and mercy for those who need it. And as we said, amen.